Kim Schmidt, Executive Editor of Farm Equipment. Welcome to Farm Equipment's Used Equipment Remarketing Roadmaps Podcast. In this episode, recorded in Kiev, Ukraine, host Casey Seymour of Moving Iron LLC and 21st Century Equipment talks with regular guests and 21st Century Equipment Used Equipment Remarketing Specialist, Aaron Fintel. Before we head over to their conversation, I wanted to invite you to join us this August 4th and 5th at the Dealership Mind Summit in Omaha, Nebraska. Based on the feedback of past attendees, our Dealer Advisory Board, and the Dealership of the Year Alumni Group, we're bringing back the focus on used equipment remarketing. Space is limited for this dealer-only event, and if you register now, you can save $200 off the full price. Register today at dealershipmindsummit.com. If this is your first time listening, you can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or TuneIn Radio. And by subscribing, you're alerted when each new episode is released. In this episode, Casey and Aaron also discuss the niche market for high-horsepower row crop tractors compared to traditional four-wheel drive tractors. Last week, Aaron and I kicked around the idea of higher horsepower articulated four-wheel drives and then how the rise of the row crop machine started to swing its head around here a little bit. In the last 10 years, we've had 350 horsepower row crops pretty easy. And within the last five years, we've had 400 plus horsepower row crops start popping up. I couldn't think of a better person to have this discussion with than the man, the myth, the legend himself, Aaron Finnell. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> pretty good, man. Pretty good. Everybody can't hold your applause. I can't hear. <laughs> all right, man. So let's kick this off. Hey, first of all, establish your global footprint. Where are you this exact very moment? I am in Kiev, Ukraine. There you go. Getting ready to... Global, global attitude. Yeah, trying to find some lucky winners over here to buy equipment from us. So, see if we can't get that figured out. Right on. All right, man. So, let's talk about this for a second. Last week we we're talking about tillage, and that's kind of where we steered ourselves off into this rise of the 400 plus horsepower row crop tractor and what that looks like, and how that was becoming more of an integral part of the tillage marketplace, just as almost more of a compact tractor compared to a four wheel drive. But the more I thought about it after we had that conversation, the more I thought about there's a lot of pros to having that high horsepower row crop tractor, but there's also a lot of cons of having a row crop tractor versus a four-wheel drive in various situations. Let's start there. What's your opinion? Let's take a look at that. Let's just do a quick poll between the two of us here. What's your opinion of that high horsepower row crop tractor and the niche it fills compared to the traditional four-wheel drive? Okay. This is opinion, okay? This isn't any kind of industry brains involved in this, right? My opinion is 400 plus is four-wheel drive. Okay. Now, the reason for that is this will dwell. Well, give your opinion. I think they both have their place in various situations. I'm going to say that if you are a predominantly a row crop producer, I'm talking the corn and soybean guy. I think that this machine, this particular machine, takes the place of what a four-wheel drive can do in planting, in some tillage work, and those kind of things. Now, like I said, there's pros and cons of that. But I also think that there's a spot in that large row crop operation for a 620-horsepower four-wheel drive weighted to the gills pulling a 2,000-bushel grain cart behind it. Right. Okay. Now, the reason that I say the 400 on up is four-wheel drive is because if you're pulling DB90 planter or bigger or whatever color, a 36-row, a 90-foot planter, or some of the tillage equipment, you take a 400 to 400 to 500, that size of tractor. 
the main two jobs across the country for that tractor is planter and grain cart. Right. Okay. In both instances, the planter less so. You can get a, I'm going to screw up the name, an 8R410. Correct. Yeah. One of them on a 90 foot planner and it'll be fine. But my biggest thing is, and I say the 400 on it is because when you get to that horsepower, you're pulling something that I guess I'm thinking from the roading sense or just the generic handling sense, you got to be able to control the damn thing. Right. You take an 8R410 there. I did it twice. Now it's committed to memory. You take an 8R410 and throw it on one of them 2096 brand carts, it'll pull it all day long. That's fine. But you got to be able to control that. And that's my thing. Horsepower to operate something is different than handling it. Right. That's where I kind of draw the pretend line in the sand, 400 horse. I need that rig to be able to handle what it can pull. It can pull it all day long, uphill, downhill, sideways, round corners, whatever, out in field operation. Right. Okay. The other thing you run into is you take a 400 on down, and I'm using deer here, and the 1,000 Challenger or whatever Fent calls it, that it's actually built by Fent. We know that, but I don't know the Fent model. Axion 930. Okay, there you go. I think. You take that rig, and you're going to want to, and I'm not talking about like the manure haulers that have the 710 rear duels and 600 front duels. I'm talking about it being set up like a regular row crop tractor, okay? 480-50 rears, 420-34 fronts, both duels, weighted up, whatever, you take your four-wheel drive setup for row crop. You have way more footprint by having eight 480-50s than you do with four 480-50s and four 420-34s, which footprint equals traction, footprint equals less compaction. So there's that part of it too. And then you get guys that say, well, no, that four-wheel drive is going to pack it down way more. But if you take an 8R410 or a 9420R and you weight the piss out of that 410 so that you can get all that power to the ground, a four-wheel drive, properly weighted, because guys will do the same shit with it. Guys just, the world is very in love with wheel weights. (laughs) (laughs) If you look at a lot of our inventory, we're some of the guiltiest ones in the world. But as long as you're not overweighting that four-wheel drive, if you have it weighted for proper operation, it's going to have less compaction than that mechanical front wheel. Plus, more efficiently put power to the ground. Plus, handle the machine better. Right. That's true. That's a good point. That's just my thoughts. Now, on the flip side, you take a, we'll use 370s. You take a 9370R, properly weighted, an 8370R, properly rated. That 8370R will out pull, outwork that 9370R all day because you have more parasitic loss of power through drivetrain in that nine than you do in that eight. Yep. That was the next thing I was going to bring up to you. So now you've got a row crop. That's basically the same horsepower when you look at the 370R versus the 9370R. Now you've got this um, 
the 8R410 and the 9420R, right? So two different horsepower between the two, but significantly different machines. Probably still going to have the same parasitic loss out of, and, and have a similar situation. So now, back to your 400 horsepower argument, which one's the right one to have? In my definition, you're at the borderline there because you're at 400. You're a tweener? Yeah, you're a tweener. Depends what you're doing. If you're in an application where you have high PTO demand power, not necessarily the pulling power or the weight that you're pulling, that's where the eight is really going to shine. If it is a heavy load situation, like you're, the machine you're pulling or dealing with is very heavy just by itself, take the 2000 bushel grain cart, that's where you go with the nine. I think my opinion of those, when you start looking at those two machines, and you kind of brought it up a little bit ago, when you're talking about the tillage aspects of it, more towards tillage than planting side of it is, but the natural weight of the four-wheel drive here to the natural weight of a uh, row crop, I think if you're looking at high-speed planting and those kind of things and the size of the machine and pulling it across the field, I got to think you'd want to lean towards that four-wheel drive more than that row crop tractor if you're looking at a 25 or 30-foot high-speed disc. I just think it would yep. perform better, don't you? Don't you think it would just not seen a row crop tractor behind there? We always dress ours up with, uh, when we get one, we always dress ours up with uh, the 9620RX. We know there's tons of horsepower there to make it go out and do what it needs to do. But I just feel like just the ballast of the four-wheel drive and, and like you said, uh, the weight. And it's a longer machine. You're going to have a little bit better control of that disc pulling you down behind. I think it just makes more sense to me to look at a four-wheel drive and for tillage situations. You use the high-speed disc reference because they are very, very popular machines. Whether it, regardless of what color brand that high speed disc is, you got to be scooting when you pull that thing. Right. And I would never, I have always recommended to guys from personal experience dealing with them that if you have 30 foot or bigger, plan on 500 horse. Well, that there, that solves any argument because that 35 or that 30-footer needing 500 horse, boom, automatically paired with a four-wheel drive. You get to that 25, and then it's kind of, what do you, it's kind of buyer's choice type deal there. The flip side, so you get the pros and cons here. We did a podcast, I don't know how many podcasts ago, but we talked about the evolution of four-wheel drives with the uh, high-flow pumps, three-point PTO, and how those become have become a big deal. It almost seems like the row crop tractor, high-pump situations were a lot more prevalent than in four-wheel drives for a long, long time. And now we're starting to see that kind of flip around. Hydraulic demand on equipment anymore is high, irregardless of what you're using, it seems like. But when you start looking at those two machines sitting next to each other, one's got three-point, or both of them got three-point PTO and high-flow pumps, then you have to start thinking about your weight considerations and what you've got as far as stopping power or roading safety and those kind of things. And I feel like I'm kind of with you when you start looking at I mean, think about putting a 42-foot air seeder with a 350 bushel car behind it, full up, ready to go. You got a lot of weight going down the road there, and you need a heavy machine that can stop itself, plus what you got coming behind it. I'm kind of with you a little bit on that when you look at it from a planting perspective. We'll get back to Casey and Aaron in a moment, but first, a quick reminder about the 2020 Dealership Mind Summit. Remarketing managers and top dealership management won't want to miss this two-day intensive on used equipment. Remarketing. Visit dealershipmindsummit.com today to register. 
Let's get back to the program now as Casey and Aaron talk about how large tractors are getting and how if they get much larger, we're going to run out of road space when traveling between fields. They also get into a discussion about wheels versus tracks and whether we may start to see tracks becoming more popular in 2020 and 2021. It's kind of like in the diesel pickup versus toter truck scenario. You can go diesel pickups nowadays will pull all kinds of shit that they really shouldn't. (laughs) They have got unlimited power, transmissions, rear ends. They'll do all kinds of shit. They still just have pickup brakes. That's where the toter truck thing has really come to life in the last five, ten years. The tractor thing's kind of the same. You know, you got a 370 that'll pull all kinds of shit but it's not going to handle it like a 9370 will. A little different in machinery. Obviously, everything with the two different, with the pickup truck scenario is all road-related, and your main aspect of the tractor world is action, but you're still handling it even when you're in the field. It's not just pulling it. I can remember in the days of cultivators, guys getting... 16 row cultivators on the backs of 4840s, 4850s, two wheel drive, they can pull it all day long. And they can kind of lift it up at the end if they got enough damn weights and tanks and all this on the front. And then going down the road, you really got to slow down to turn because you do all your turning by brakes. The front tires are just barely touching. So that's an old school scenario of, yeah, I can pull that through the field. but And even the three-point probably even lift it up. Yeah. But then how do you control the tractor? <laughs> exactly. No, that makes sense. That's a good point. Machines, as they evolve here, we start looking at different things that they're set up with. We're starting to see more and more stuff come out with trailer brakes and implements having brakes on them and those kind of things. How does that right. play in that scenario, you think? Well, when we get to where that is there more, more prevalent across the industry, then I think that takes a little bit of the which one should I buy scenario out of it because your handling aspects are there for either rig, you know. Yep. That's kind of like the one outlier when that becomes a very standardized thing that we'll see more high horsepower real crop tractors than we will four-wheel drives. Doing stuff we saw four-wheel drives doing, with the exception of where you need five or 600 horsepower. You know what I mean? Basically, what you're saying is when we get to that point where everything has brakes, my argument of the where 400 is the breaking point then automatically moves to where 500 is the breaking point. I think so to some extent, yeah. That's kind of my, I would be what I was saying. The other thing about that too, the other side of that is, I mean, how much damn bigger can you make a row crop tractor be before it's just, you're running triple seven tens across it instead of triple four eighties. <laughs> right. Sooner or later, I mean, that's what you talked to your point earlier. You're going to start seeing guys put, instead of triples, they're going to start putting quadruples or, you know, five rear tires across the back to get the right flotation and the right amount of surface area to the ground so they can go out and do that. I mean, then you're just making the machine wider. How has that solved any safety problems? Well, and I'm not, yeah, not just safety, but handling or not handling, nimbleness. That's where when you get your, both of them are 400, that's a huge factor too that we haven't discussed. The nimbleness of that mechanical front and the ability to do more things with it than just be a big giant power plant. That does make a, a big difference. So, in fact, right now, most of these county roads, when you have a four-wheel drive of any model, 
maker model running down the road that's got uh, dual 800s on it, that's the entire shoulder to shoulder pretty much of that, of that road you're going down. Absolutely. So that becomes another situation to talk about when you look at this stuff is, again, okay, so now you're going to start putting triples on there. Even a 410 with an 8R410 with triples on it, that's pretty wide in the back. I mean, you're an 800 and a half, I guess is what you're, no, you wouldn't be, yeah, 800 and a half, three quarters, I guess, of that same spacing that you would see on that four-wheel drive with 800 duels on it. But there's a, uh, sooner or later, you start running out of road space. Well, actually, you'd be every bit as wide as the dual 800s simply because of you have space. Oh, yeah. Space. you got to account for the space between the three tires, too. You really haven't narrowed it up at all. Good point. The nimbleness of that row crop tractor is more than the four-wheel drive. Like oh, absolutely. In and out, back around. It's not as long, right? It's not as much of a machine there making that thing happen. But It's kind of like my least favorite series of tractors. Seven R's. You get a seven three ten R versus an eight three ten R. There are a couple situations where that seven is ideal machine. We sell a lot of high horsepower sevens to dairies and feedlots for running feed wagons. A lot of horsepower, strictly for the PTO use of it in a smaller package. And my personal thought, once you hit 235 or 245 on up, I'm 100%, 100,000% 8R versus 7R. Even though, and I know guys, I've actually talked to a guy who has put the triple mowers, a huge gaining popularity thing. I have a lot of guys calling me about them. Those, and that's where the 7R really shined. But there again, I've talked to a guy that had a, what was it? Was it a 320? No, an 8295R, front three-point front PTO, and he had a 30-foot triple mower on it, and it was just the greatest damn thing ever invented in the history of mankind. More often, though, you see the 7 because it's not as big. Right. And they still have TLS, and they got cab suspension, all that stuff. So you can put down 30 feet of hay at 15 mile an hour and just haul ass all day long. Super productive machine. Plus, that tractor costs less than the 8R does. So it's kind of that same argument when you get into that series versus the top end of 8, bottom end of 9, on which do you go with? The one thing I think we're leaving out in this conversation, as we've talked about nimbleness and we've talked about width of transport and everything else, is how are the track systems going to start playing a bigger role into what we see in the field as far as operation goes, whether it's a 9RX, an 8RX, a Delta track or a quad track, case quad track, or you know, cases half track system they've got. Start looking at putting 36-inch belts in the back versus tires and the amount of area that you actually put to the ground comparatively to running a couple tires out there. What's your opinion of that? And how do you think that's going to change the way guys operate equipment as far as transport goes? I like to think that I have a pretty good handle on the equipment business. I have zero, zero, zero idea where that 8RX is going to land. I'm right there with you. Is it going to take over the two-track and the tire world? Is it going to take over one of the two? Is it going to be something of it someday when they're 10 years old? They can afford them, but there was only five new ones sold. It falls into, there's so many unknowns with the eight 
RX that I have no idea even to speculate where they're going to land outside of Cool Factor. It is the absolute, the mayor, the sheriff, head janitor of Coolsville. From a machine utilization on the farm sense, I don't have a clue where that thing's going to land. I think now, I personally believe that the quad, or go ahead, finish your thought, sorry. The small nine RXs, the 420s and 470s, I see them gaining popularity within our territory. And nationally, they're not gaining popularity as fast as I thought maybe they would. I know. Well, but if you look at that from the red scenario, Case IH with their, what they call their road track, their smaller quad tracks. I feel like a lot of guys jumped on those and they kind of like the news worn off and they're just kind of, eh, they are what they are. Guys have gone back to actual quad tracks or something else, wheels. They're kind of a very damn expensive niche machine, whether they're red, green, yellow, whatever. The big quads, regardless of what color, they're here to stay. They're going to keep doing their thing. Of course, the big quads are in the over five, so they're not really part of this argument. But And there's only one, when it comes to the deer, there's only one two-track that would be in the argument, and that'd be the 470. Your option on that's 30 or 36, so you're not row cropping with it. I guess that's kind of my thoughts on that whole different, all those different segments and how they fall into that. I think tracks are going to be a bigger, uh, broader part of portfolios on the farm. The argument that tracks are more expensive to operate known than tires are is that's kind of not the same and that's not really true anymore. The price of tires have gone up so much and got so expensive that it almost does cost you about the same to take care of to retire an entire machine as it does to fix the undercarriage and put a new set of tracks on a track machine. That's exactly right. Back in the, the 8410 days, Yes, it was a lot more expensive to deal with tracks. Today, where you have eight tires on that row crop tractor and versus eight 18-inch tracks on a 370 RT, it's actually cheaper in the long run. If you look at, like, say, 8,000 hours, you're doing two sets of tracks, two sets of tires, plus you've had to fix something on the ILS or something there. You're going to be the tracks in the long run is actually cheaper to operate in the long run than the front dual machine. So I think in my, my, is that those have narrowed up and become a lot more equal with each other as far as, as maintenance costs goes. I think there's going to be more tracks personally. I mean, there's less slip, more power to the ground. I could go on for days about how great track machines are, but I think that's going to be a bigger thing. And I think the RX, 8RX is going to be a tractor that is going to be, it might not be kind of like the high-speed planner. When it first came out, it wasn't necessarily taken off like a wildfire, but within two or three years, it was one of the most high-demanded planners out there, especially in the used marketplace that we'd seen. If you look at how many how many 2015 high-speeds are out there versus how many 17 or 18, that's a huge difference. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. Absolutely amazing. So I think it's like that. I think you're going to see a kind of a, a couple years of make sure let's watch it and see if, what is, if it's worth the price tag type of thing, kind of that mentality that we've seen here of late. Look at the number of aftermarket guys that have popped up with the bolt-on. What's Mudhog's got one, don't they? Like the, their four-wheel driver and they got for combines. Now you can get a track system on it or something like that. 
Oh yeah, yeah. You can put tracks on the end of the combine. So you put tracks on the front, tracks on the back, and I just think, especially when you start looking at how muddy it's been over the last three seasons, plant seasons and harvest seasons. I mean, I just think there's a. I think tracks are going to have a bigger splash in 2020, 2021 than we've seen up to that point. Yeah, that could very well be accurate. Okay, man. Well, any last thoughts you want to throw out there on this topic before we close it down? Not that I can think of. One other thing I was going to mention here quick. We were talking about nimbleness, and you made the statement, how damn big can you make a row crop tractor and still have it be a row crop tractor? If you go take a 4955 and park it next to a 370, it looks like you can fit two of those 4955s inside that 370. Oh, yeah. yeah. So how big can you make it? We might be about there. There's a lot of sheds that you can't drive in a big Magnum or a big 8R with on 50s. Because the damn shit, you could drive an 8820 combine in it, but you can't drive a damn row crop tractor in it. We're kind of there. They're huge. I bet you if you put a 370R next to a 8300 and see how much bigger that machine is, then you'd be surprised. They dwarf them. Oh, yeah. Plus, you start looking at it. The other part of that, too, is is road infrastructure. You know what I mean? Just like these bridges can only hold so much, and they only make them so wide. We still build roads based on the width of two horses next to each other pulling a uh, cart down the road. It's uh, We've kind of hit our point, I think. So, All right, man. Well, as usual, Aaron, appreciate you being on. Any last thoughts you want to throw out there before we move it on down the road here? Nothing I can think of. I think we covered her pretty good today. Thanks, Casey and Aaron. We've got even more used equipment remarketing resources that we're sending your way. In addition to this podcast, we're also tapping into Casey's expertise across all of our informational channels. If you've got a question for Casey, I'd encourage you to head over to farm-equipment.com backslash ask the expert. Submit a question and we'll get Casey's answer to it up on our Ask the Expert blog. Don't forget to head over to dealershipmindsummit.com to register for the 2020 Dealership Mind Summit on used equipment remarketing in Omaha. You can keep up with the latest industry news by registering online to receive our free newsletters. Visit www.farm-equipment.com. For Casey and Aaron, as well as our entire staff here at Farm Equipment, I'm Kim Schmidt. Thanks for listening.